Hello, dear friends. I'm Marissa Blackwood, and welcome to the finale of All Things Murder. Welcome to All Things Murder, the show that dives into real true crime cases that inspired pop culture movies and shows we know today. I'm Marissa Blackwood, and here I thought I had issues with my father and my stepmother. But boy, no, doesn't even compare. Have you heard of Lizzie Borden? Lizzie Borden was an American woman suspected of murdering her stepmother and father in 1892. Her trial became a national sensation in the United States. You may have seen the 2018 film Lizzie, starring Chloe Schiavone and Kristen Stewart, which is based off the true story. Listener's discretion is advised. Lizzie Andrew Borden was born on July 18th 1860 in Fall River, Massachusetts to mother Sarah Anthony Borden and father Andrew Jackson Borden. Her father Andrew, despite being the descent of wealthy and influential residents of the area, grew up in a pretty modest surrounding and struggled financially as a young man. Once he got older, he prospered through the manufacturer and sales of furniture and caskets. He later became a successful property developer and directed several textile mills, including the Globe Yarn Mill Company, Troy Cotton, and Woolen Manufacturer Company. So a guy's got a lot going on. By the time of the murders, he owned considerable commercial property and was both president of the Union Savings Bank and director of Durfee Safe Deposit and Trust Company. Like, dude, take a holiday, take a vacation. Got a lot going on. Despite his wealth, Andrew was known for his frugality. Oh boy. Most of his family lived like in an uphill, fashionable neighborhood called The Hill. You know, very posh, very rich people. Where Andrew was just content on staying where he was. He also never bothered to upgrade his house with the indoor plumbing and electricity that everyone else was getting at that time. He could afford it, he just didn't want to get it. The family used oil lamps instead of gas. He was even known to sell eggs from the farm on Main Street. However, he did employ servants to keep their home, you know, tidy. This frugality was known to have sometimes caused some friction in the house. Like, Dad, I want a frickin' toilet. Yeah, I could see that causing some friction. Most of the fights were with Lizzie, who had, you know, wanted to be like her other relatives who lived on the hill. Like, we have money. Let's spend it for toilets. Lizzie and her older sister, Emma Lorena Borden, had a relatively religious upbringing and attended Central Congregational Church. As a young woman, Lizzie was very involved in church activities, including teaching Sunday school to children of recent immigrants to the United States. She was involved in religious organizations such as the Christian Endeavor Society, for which she served as secretary treasurer, and in contemporary social movements such as the Women's Christian, Christian Temperance Union. She was also a member of the Ladies' Fruit and Flower Mission. Just like her dad, she's got a lot going on. Now, Emma, her sister, rarely left the house and was described as a prim, confident, apparently reliable in every fiber. However, Lizzie was the opposite, was more attractive and outgoing than her sister. She was described as having red hair, was attractive. She had several suitors and escorts but none of them were from the hill, so she was like, okay, bye. 
She said, I'm trying to get out with indoor plumbing. I'm trying to get with it. You're not from the hill. Goodbye. Even if Lizzie did accept a suitor outside of what she was looking for, her father would reject them as fortune hunters. Both she and her sister were doomed to spinsterhood. Like, thanks, Dad. Thanks a lot. Three years after the death of Lizzie's mother, Andrew married a Dabby Durfee Gray on June 6th of 1865. So me and my sister gotta be spinsters and you're over here getting laid? How is that fair? The couple never had children. Lizzie, along with her sister Emma, who was nine years older than her, both live with their dad and their stepmom well into adulthood. Lizzie and Emma were never close with their stepmother. Instead of calling her mom or mother, they called her Mrs. Borden. My current stepmom, I didn't call her by her name, I called her number three. Rarely did they take meals with Andrew and Abby. As their father grew more prosperous, the girls starting to wonder, is Abby a gold digger? If her family is just there to get access to their dad's money. Like, dad, you married a gold digger. Wake up. In the months prior to the murders, tension was growing in the household, especially after Andrew made a real estate gift to Abby and her sister. So the girls are like, what in the hell's going on here? Emma and Lizzie then demanded that they be granted a piece of real estate, and they were given the house they had lived in until their mother had died. A few weeks later, they sold it back to their father for $5,000. In May of 1982, believing that pigeons roosting in the barns were pets, Andrew killed them with a hatchet. Foreshadowing. Lizzie, who had recently built a roost for the birds, was very upset. A family argument in July of 1882 prompted the sisters to take an extended vacation to New Bedford, Massachusetts. They returned a week before the murders, but Lizzie didn't go straight home. Instead, she stayed at a local rooming house for four days before returning back to the family house. What was she doing there? For several days before the murders, the entire household had gotten sick. Everyone was violently ill. On August 3rd, Abby called for a Dr. Seabury Bowen to make a visit and told him she feared they're being poisoned. She said, yo, these girls are out to get me. However, the doctor said it was probably due to bad food. He offered to take a look at the rest of the family, but Andrew got so upset that Abby was wasting money on a doctor, ordered him to leave. Everybody is sick in this house and you are pissed that I called for a doctor? Divorce. That evening, an Uncle John Morse, the younger brother of Sarah Morse Borden, their mom, made an unannounced visit to the Borden residence. He was not involved in the girls' lives until about two years before the murders, when he just started showing up at the house for, quote, visits of his nieces. He was allegedly there to discuss business matters with their father, Andrew. Some writers speculate that their conversation, particularly about property transfers, may have aggravated the already tense situation. He would spend the night in upstairs bedroom when he came for visit. The Murders at first, August 4th of 1892 started as a normal day in the Borden House in Fall River, Massachusetts. The family's maid, Bridget Sullivan, served breakfast to Andrew and Abby while Lizzie slept upstairs. Not long, Andrew then went into town and Abby decided to straighten up the guest room in the house where Lizzie's uncle was sleeping the night before. So after Andrew left for town, Abby climbed the stairs to the guest room to make up the bed, make it nice and tidy. 
And in the oppressive heat of that August morning, someone followed her. Later on, Andrew returned from town. He asked Lizzie, where is Abby? And his daughter replied that Mrs. Borden had left the house. According to Lizzie, her stepmom received a note about a sick friend. I think we can all agree, even back in the 1800s, that is a bad lie. Andrew believed that story. He settled on the sofa in the sitting room, and her maid, Bridget, still not feeling well because everyone is still sick, went to take a nap in her room. So everyone's sleeping. But soon, the maid was woken up by a scream. Lizzie was calling for Bridget and crying that her father was dead. Shortly after the discovery of Andrew Borden's body, Bridget flew to the house to find a doctor. But in the meantime, Lizzie's screaming had attracted the attention of several neighbors who called the police. Slowly, a curious crowd began to gather around the Borden residence. What's going on here? At this point, Abby's whereabouts were still unknown. Lizzie told her concerned neighbors the same story she told her dad, that her stepmother had got a note about asking her to visit a sick friend. Lizzie also mentioned that her parents had been ill in the previous days and that she suspected that their milk had been poisoned. After Bridget returned with a local doctor named Seabury Bowen, same doctor from before, the maid went to see if Abby was upstairs and found her dead body lying face down. She was surrounded by a pool of her own blood. It was later determined that Abby Borden had been struck 19 times with the hatchet, and Andrew had been hit 11 times with the very same weapon. While Andrew was hit fewer times, his corpse was still extremely gruesome. One of Andrew's eyes had been cut in half and his nose had been completely severed from his face. Meanwhile, Abby's blood was dark and congealed. This led the doctor to believe that she had been killed first, which I think we can all agree we figured that out. But who had killed them? Unfortunately, the case of the Borden murders would yield so many more questions than answers. At first, the police did not suspect Lizzie at all. After all, she was a spinster, a Sunday school teacher from a respected family. They're like, she's not going to do this crazy stuff. No way. Plus, Lizzie had sworn to the district attorney, Halcyon Nelton, that she had been in the barn looking for a piece of iron when the attacks took place. I was in the barn. What? The cops initially believed the murderers were perpetrated by a man, most likely a foreigner. Just a few hours later, they arrested an innocent Portuguese immigrant, but that assumption turned out to be one of the many dead ends. A bloody hatchet was found on a neighboring farm, but it had been used to kill chickens. A strange man was seen near the Borden's property at the time of the murders, but he had an airtight alibi. Lizzie, not looking good for you. Meanwhile, Lizzie Borden's story kept changing. Uh-oh. Her claim about searching for iron soon shifted into one thing about eating pears in the barn loft. I was in the barn, dammit. What does it matter what I was doing? There was no physical evidence against her, not even a bloody scrape of clothing. She was clean. But as the police investigated the double murder, they began to believe that maybe no one could have done this. If Abby was killed in the morning, the murderer, assuming it wasn't Lizzie or the maid Bridget, would have been likely hiding somewhere in the house for hours waiting for Andrew to come back from town. During this time, he or she would have surely risked being spotted by Lizzie or Bridget. And what about the note that Lizzie claimed her stepmother received? Abby had clearly never made it out of the house, so 
Where was this note? Lizzie told her friend Alice Russell that her stepmom, oh, she might have accidentally burned it. Yeah, she just read it and burned. You know, crazy. Investigators also discovered that the day before the murders took place, Lizzie tried to buy poisonous Prusik acid from a drugstore. This is poorly timed. She claimed that she needed it to put an edge on a sealskin cape, but the clerk had refused to sell it to her because she did not have a prescription. A few days after the murder, her friend Alice saw Lizzie burning one of her dresses at the stove in her house. Why are you burning your dress, Lizzie? When Alice asked her why she was doing that, Lizzie said the dress was stained and could no longer be worn. On August 8th, Lizzie attended an inquest hearing during which she provided contradicting information about the murders, raising many eyebrows. By August 11th, she was arrested and put in jail. In 1893, Lizzie Borden was put on trial, and the controversial case soon captivated the nation. Though Lizzie never testified during the trial, she was still the star of the show, murder and all. At one point, a piece of tissue paper covering the skull of her father fell to the floor. She caught sight of this skull and then she fainted. But presenting the skulls of the Bordens turned out to work in her favor. Her lawyer reasoned that whoever caused such damage must have been covered in blood after the incident, but Lizzie's clothes were clean. This has led some to believe that she committed the murders naked, which would have been smart. And the defense was able to further cloud the water throughout the remainder of the trial. They produced witnesses who claimed to have seen Lizzie leaving the barn at the time of the murders and witnesses who'd seen strange characters around their property. The defense was even able to get the drug clerk's testimony struck from the record, calling it irrelevant and prejudicial. They argued that the druggist had misidentified Lizzie Borden. And besides, even if Lizzie was the woman in the store, Pruisic acid could still be used for innocent purposes. On June 19th of 1893, Lizzie was found not guilty of murdering Andrew and Abby. Not guilty. Soon after the dust settled, Lizzie and her sister Emma, who inherited their father's estate, bought a house in a more fashionable part of Fall River, where Lizzie always wanted to live. The sisters lived peacefully together in Fall River until 1904, when Lizzie, calling herself Lizbeth, met an actress named Nance O'Neill. So the two, you know, got a strong relationship. Some speculated they were even lovers. But Emma did not approve of this relationship. So two years later, after Lizzie met Nance, Emma moved out of the house that she shared with her sister. She said, nope, I'm out. As for Lizzie Borden, she lived out the rest of her days relatively quiet and private. She died in 1927 at the age of 67, taking anything she knew about the murders to her grave. Nearly a century after her death, people are still debating whether she really killed her father and stepmother or not. But if Lizzie Borden didn't commit the murders, then who did? Some think that Andrew's illegitimate son William committed the crime and that Lizzie and Emma conspired to cover up his involvement, which honestly sounds like a pretty damn good plan. Others believe that the two sisters plotted the murders together. And another line of speculation suggests that Lizzie and Bridget were having an affair, which somehow led to the murders. So saying that her and the maid had an affair. Yet others wonder if it could have been the work of someone totally unrelated to this family. In 2012, journals kept by Lizzie's lawyer, Andrew Jackson Jennings, were obtained by the Fall River Historical Society. 
However, these notebooks did not bring the public any closer to knowing who actually killed the Bordens. And so the mystery endures, as does the popular rhyme about the Borden murders. Lizzie Borden took an axe and gave her mother 40 wax. When she saw what she had done, she gave her father 41. Do I believe that Lizzie Borden is guilty? See, that's also debatable for me. Her story about the note is what gets me. She kept changing her story about the note. Clearly, the note was a lie. My personal opinion, I'm thinking she might have done it. Just because the whole thing with the note and the fact that she waited for her father to leave. Okay, she's telling everyone she suddenly got this note, then bam, we don't know what happened to her. And then dad comes home, bam, he's dead. Just saying, a little suspicious. Little suspicious. Do you think Lizzie is guilty or innocent? And that is the true story of Lizzie Borden. Thank you all so much for joining me. Truly, it has been a pleasure. I have started this podcast because of my dysfunction, my weirdness, and my love for movies and true crime. Thank you all so much. I'm Marissa Blackwood, and stay tuned for season two of All Things Murder, if you dare. <laughs>